This is a story about a girl named Lucky. Early morning, she wakes up. Knock, knock, knock on the door. It's time for makeup. Perfect smile. It's too late. Oh, waiting for. This is a podcast about a girl named Lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, and welcome to When We Were Young, the podcast that acts older than it is and knows how to rub you the right way. I'm Becky, the podcast host most likely to ask you to email my heart and say our love will never die. I know you're out there, and I know that you still care. Email me back and say our love will stay alive. Forever email my heart. (laughs) Good God, I'm Seth Pearson, the host most likely to hit your baby one more time. Get away from my baby! (laughs) And I'm Chris, your podcast host, most likely to cry, cry, cry in his lonely heart, thinking, if there's nothing missing in my life, then why do these tears come at night? (laughs) On today's episode, we're going blonde. Really blonde. And then later we'll go brunette to prove we're a serious performer and not a little girl anymore. Today we're headed back to the year 1999 with the debut of not one, but four squeaky clean, midriff-bearing, flaxen-haired teenage pop singers. Though they may seem very similar on the surface, their chart success, career longevity, and virginity status varies. (laughs) It was in 1999 that Britney Spears was introduced to the world, or inflicted upon the world, depending on how you feel about Britney Spears. Depending on if you're Seth or not. (laughs) (laughs) With a flurry of other pop songstresses in her wake, those being Christina Aguilera, Jessica Simpson, and Mandy Moore. All four singers are celebrating 20th anniversaries of their debut albums this year, with Britney's Baby One More Time being the first as it was released in January 1999. Do you guys have any personal affinity for any of the pop stars we're discussing on today's podcast, whether then or now? And who is your favorite pop star of all time? As for these four lovely ladies, I have some affinity for some of them. I don't have... Specifically who? (laughs) Nope, nope. That's what this is for, Becky. I definitely have the most affinity for Britney Spears, our subject of today. In general, just because she's the most iconic and really defines, I think, a particular era. But just, like, I mean, she's she's definitely... She made her mark on the music industry in a way that I don't think any of the other... I mean, particularly the last two. But, um, (laughs) you know, like, she is really someone who for better or worse, like, made her mark. And I think everything else kind of came in her wake, again, for better or worse. As for my favorite pop star of all time, I mean, I do really admire Madonna because I feel like she was such a trailblazer and, like, we're talking about Britney today and another, like, big figure is Lady Gaga and I think they all, like, owe a lot to Madonna for just kind of being that figure who really just kind of blazed her way through like so much and and this is unprecedented this is so surprising (laughs) like i also i don't feel like i'm like the biggest madonna fan of all time like Mm -hmm. you know i don't like everything that she's ever done she has her misses that's for sure like she's not someone that i like listen to every day or even think about a lot i guess i would say I really like sort of the Robin-esque sort of pop stars who feel like they have a little bit more of an authorship on their songwriting and their persona. Marina and the Diamonds is another one Mm -hmm. that I really like. I love her. 
I feel like I like sort of the second wave that came after Britney, or maybe it's even the third wave. They take on some of the persona of the sort of, I don't know, princessy kind of image, but have a little bit more um, to say about like the deconstruction of that image, where like Marina and the Diamonds is, you know, will often sing a song like called Prima Donna, but it's it's kind of feels like she's criticizing it at the same time as enjoying it. And I like a little bit more of those layers and Robin as well. She's, you know, kind of like the heartbreak queen, but in a way that I think feels more authentic than, like, Britney could sing a song like Dancing on My Own, but she's probably not alone. She's probably got, you know, Justin Timberlake or someone with her. If not her team of 10 songwriters behind her. Like, Chris, I think the thing that you're getting at that's important, and I mean, like, not to jump too far ahead, but, like, all of these pop girls that we're going to talk about today are pop performers, they're not really pop songwriters. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I think they have varying <laughs> degrees of influence, but none of them are uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein. <laughs> That's my favorite pop star is Rodgers and Hammerstein. Well, and like, I, I'm curious about, and obviously we'll go into the extent to which they're kind of not really being the drivers of the songwriting influence the end product and the end result and also like how we think of them now. Who is your favorite pop star? Um, so I would characterize my affinity as a negative one for all of the pop <laughs> stars affinity. in question. <laughs> yeah, an unfinity. Growing up, I had a period of listening to top 40 pop radio, but that period was like distinctly before Britney or any of the women who followed in her wake. So obviously I was exposed to all of these performers, all of their kind of early hit songs. But this wasn't the music that I was seeking out at the time. And I had already developed my musical taste to a point where I distinctly did not want to listen to any of these pop singers. This was not the kind of pop music that I was seeking out. This was 99, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, by 99, I was I was already into Smashing Pumpkins and, like, starting to get into Radiohead and also really getting into, like, the Beatles. The kind of pop that I was into was like the unpopular pop music. (laughs) Isn't that an oxymoron? (laughs) No, it's not though, because like Britney and Christina Aguilera, like all of them, they work in pop music, which is a very defined structure, verses and choruses and hooks. That's common among like musicians of all different kinds of genres and all different kinds of music that you could ever possibly be into. Um, But my taste was just more uh, groups that, you know, wrote their own songs, performed their own songs. Like the Spice Girls. Exactly. Exactly. I was more a girl power kind of (laughs) guy. We know that's not true. (laughs) Do we? Do we? Yes, we literally did that episode. Yeah, we did. (laughs) And we did did not like it. At the same time, though, like, because I was a person who listened to radio sometimes and also went to stores, (laughs) I heard all of the singles of all of these performers many, many, many times growing up. You could not get away from listening to Britney Spears music. And also, like, I grew up in Louisiana. Ah, So there there really was a lot of, like, home state affection for her. But who's your favorite pop star? Be My, honest. Mm, <laughs> either the Beatles or like Fiona Apple or like Rufus Wainwright. I was going to say Alanis for you. 
Or Alanis. None or of Alanis. Which, no, none of those are pop stars, I don't think. Oh, yeah, I sure. think they, no, no, I think they apps this is why I was actually excited to do this episode, it's because I didn't know what your own barometer for pop music would be. And mm-hmm. I consider that. every mm-hmm. single artist I just named, and, and uh, like especially Alanis, pop musicians and pop songwriters. And I would say, like as as esoteric as my tastes can be, at the end of the day, I love the structure of songwriting, and I love pop songwriting in particular. And like even like Fiona Apple, who is not necessarily the most like mainstream artist, is still I think a songwriter in the kind of pop tradition like someone like Amy Mann or like Burt Bacharach or some, or even going back further like Rodgers and Hammerstein like I <laughs> literally I, I like how Rodgers and Hammerstein are getting so many plugs on our Britney Spears episode. right well I want to talk about what makes pop pop in a little bit I want to talk about me <laughs> <laughs> that's what she really wants to talk about I'm keeping all of this <laughs> This is a story about a girl named Becky. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I love Britney a lot, but the love did not start until like college. Um, Because I remember seeing the Baby One More Time video when it first was released and being like, what's this? Who's this? And then she immediately became like the biggest thing ever. And it just became like Britney Spears. Like she's a superstar. Um, And I always liked her, you know, her singles, um, more or less. I wasn't, you know, I didn't like every single one, but there were some that I was like, okay. But when she, when I went to college, it was 2001, and that's when the album Britney came out. So that was like her third album. That's when I felt like her music started to get really interesting for me. After 9-11. After 9-11. I forget when Britney was released. Um, Actually, I have it right here. It was released... Oh, I have... Uh, yeah. November 5th, 2001. So yes, right after 9-11. Wow. That was when I thought her music started to get really interesting. And then the 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 album after that was Me, me Against the Music. In the Zone. In the, in the zone. zone. It had Me Against the Music yes. as the lead single. And pretty much every Britney album after that, uh, um, up until recently... Britney Jean. Britney Jean. Yeah, up until Britney Jean. Um, but everything in between there... I was really obsessed with that I actually thought they were brilliant pop albums and I didn't think that they were full of filler and I really liked them. And in college, I remember going to a lot of frat parties with Chris. Really? Mm, <laughs> yes, I, I do recall mm. that myself. And, um, you recall them? Toxic. That's and, surprising. Toxic and Slave for You were like the big dance songs and me and Chris specifically would dance to those. But like they were ubiquitous. They were everywhere and I would hear them everywhere. And we I would, were the stars. <laughs> Of all we the were. parties. Whenever Britney came on, me and Chris would dance, and it became so much of a thing that after college, my friend played uh, Toxic at her wedding so that I would dance to it. <laughs> I also feel like, Becky, it may have been some of the first times that I hung out with you, but like definitely like knowing Chris before I met Becky. Like I feel like when I went to like the few times that I went to gay clubs was around the time that, like, Toxic was out. Uh-huh. And, and obviously the earlier Britney hits were also played among the lineup of the videos that would play. I frequently had a python around my shoulders. <laughs> yeah, no, that was, that was completely expected at the time. Um, but I feel like some of the first times that I actually hung out with both of you together 
were like dancing to Britney Spears' video. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Close. I feel like if me and Chris's friendship has a song, it's probably slavery. <laughs> yeah. Is that problematic? Does that hold up? It'll hold up. So I have a very, very soft spot for Britney in college, but then after college, I worked as a gossip reporter um, for E! (laughs) And this is around the time that Britney was having her meltdown. I literally started writing gossip when she was going through this, like wearing the wigs, talking in a British accent, dating paparazzis. And basically, I had to write about her every single day. Mm -hmm. And you might think that that would cause you to have some sort of burnout on her. But instead, she became my like little sister. And even though she's older than me, that I had to like watch out for and be like, is Brittany okay today? And I had this like personal connection to her, not only because I really did like her music and I loved dancing to it, but she was going through this spiral and I, I cared about her. And I remember that I was in Hawaii on like my vacation and it was my 24th or 25th birthday. I was getting the first massage I've ever gotten in my life. And it was the day after that she locked herself in the bathroom with her like baby. And like they had to put her in like on a stretcher and like drag her out and like put her in like a psychiatric hospital. And this is all I was thinking about during my massage is, is Brittany okay? 2005? Um, no, not 2005. No, was this was it? like 2007, early 2007. Okay. okay. Yes. 2007 and eight were like the Britney breakdown years. I didn't have like internet on my phone and I had to like wait till I could go back to a computer at my friend's <laughs> house that I was staying at in Hawaii I to find out the- about Britney. <laughs> that and was it, the thing. I was just like, Britney, oh my God, is she okay? <laughs> like I have this really deep personal connection to this woman and I've seen her live, um, in her later years, when she wasn't as good a performer as in her earlier years. <laughs> but I, you know, want to see her. I went to Vegas. I made sure I saw her Vegas show. So I have a deep, deep connection to Britney, just in general. She might be my all-time favorite pop star. Funny enough, like, in my head, I was thinking, well, obviously, it's Gwen Stefani. But that was more, like, early me, honestly. Like, there was a moment in time where I was, like... I'm all about Gwen Stefani, but I think if I had to think of somebody from start to finish, it might be Britney. So that's a weird answer because I really thought I was just going to say Gwen Stefani. (laughs) (laughs) I have a lot to say. There was so much in that. What? What? Well, first of all, you were writing gossip. I was also, I was writing a column about celebrity and it was, yes, it was exactly that time that Britney Spears was having her meltdown and it was such a thing. I think it was the bridge between like old celebrity and new celebrity. It was just this like moment when like the internet kind of happened mm-hmm. and when like 24-7 news about celebrities and when like things transitioned from like movie stars to kind of like tabloid stars. Like instead of like red carpet stuff, it was trashy paparazzi shots. Right, and it was like Britney and then like... Paris and Lindsay, who are sort of like the vanguards of that. So the way that I talk about this now and literally have like characterized it for like a decade is like at a certain point, fame and infamy became the same thing Mm -hmm. and are now completely indistinguishable. The internet age was part of that, but it's also like the way that we kind of talked about people in the popular culture, like reality TV existed before that, like Survivor existed before that, but that was before the Real Housewives. like celebrity-based. Exactly. Or personality-based. The Vanderpumps were not ruling. (laughs) 
<laughs> the Kardashians were, were not they just kept up on with. TV, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah um, it actually was like a very, I think, distinct era of pop culture in general. It was a mean yeah. like, time. Like yes. people were fucking mean to these women, to like celebrities in general. Like, like the women were like barely eating because they felt like they like had to be emaciated. Mm-hmm. The paparazzi were becoming a vult- vulture thing. It was gross. TMZ really TMZ. came to prominence. Yeah. Yeah, and I like not that like it's all like hugs and bunnies right now, but I think there's a little bit more self-consciousness about like not completely like trashing people because we saw these women go through like really dramatic times where it was like Britney was like literally on suicide watch. Like mm-hmm. people thought she was going to fucking kill herself. And there were other, you know, Anna Nicole Smith is someone that like w- became a tragic figure or at like this Amy time. Like Amy Winehouse. <laughs> yes. There was so much just like negativity. I mean, I think it was pretty much directed at women and yeah, I mean, I was a part of it, you know, and I, I even wrote an article about it. Like when Anna Nicole Smith died, I sort of re-examined what I had said for the last couple of years about trashing these women. And I kind of found that it just like wasn't funny anymore to rip celebrities apart. Like I, it was this weird time when we like all really like jumped on that bandwagon and we're just like, yeah, let's trash them. And then we kind of eventually saw that like it was actually like really hurting these people. And we stepped back a little. I mean, it's not like we're like saints now, but I think that I think is a it very just distinct got, time. I think it just got more nuanced, you know? And like, because this made me remember things like a celebrity death match on MTV, mm-hmm. where there would be like claymation representations of like Britney Spears Mm -hmm. was one of the, yeah. There was so much about their public image that it was socially permitted to bash. I want to bring up American Idol in its early days was all about Simon Cowell being mean. Being mean to people. And it's funny because in later years, you could see this general trend being like, oh, that's not selling anymore. Perez Hilton being mean to people isn't selling anymore. Simon Cowell isn't. So now Perez is nice and American Idol is all nice because yeah. people took like took it to such an extreme that it, it like it was too much not to get like too far ahead but like <laughs> it was interesting like comparing the quote unquote reaction I had to Britney and Christina and all of these kind of pop girls at the time when they came out and kind of listening to those songs again now but also revisiting the way that I feel like I was kind of trained to see them and trained to react to them by the way that pop culture collectively found them disposable, found them to be like easy, immediate targets of mockery. Um, even though, even though they were no different than any other kind of like pop star of any other era. Let's talk about what pop music entails. After my stint at E! writing gossip, I was a pop music reviewer um, for several years. Yes, I got Chris a job there, too. I wasn't. (laughs) I just want everyone to know. We distinctly said, no, Seth, you cannot work here with us. Right. Nope. So what I thought pop was when I entered that job was, oh, it's Britney, it's Christina, it's Justin Timberlake, boy bands, Lady Gaga. But (laughs) when I got there, it seemed like it was two separate things. One was pop is anything in the top 40. So I had to write a lot about Lil Wayne. I had to write about Green Day whenever they released anything. Uh, The Killers, um, Black Eyed Peas. Yeah. um, Lots of rappers. Fall Out Boy. Drake, Fall Out Boy. Like, it, it, 
anything that reached the top 40. A lot of Jesse J for me. A lot of Jesse J. Oh, no. A lot of dance music. That's when the EDM became a thing. The price tag? Yeah. I mean, I wrote so much about Jesse J. Good God. So that was a lot of what I had to do was stuff that I was like, well, Lil Wayne is hip-hop and rap. Like, yeah. why am I writing about this? But he was always guessing on, and like, a Yeah, so he, right. so he was, you know, in the roundup of everything we talked about. And the other side of it was pure pop stars, and that doesn't necessarily mean top 40, because then that's how he discovered people like Robin or Oland, Marina and the Diamonds, Winter Gordon. Like, you may not even have heard of these people, but they are very, very, very pop Mm-hmm. It's interesting. What do you think pop is? Is it a certain sound, um, or is it just what's popular and what's mainstream? Yeah, I mean that's really interesting because, like, yes, the Beatles did pop music at the time, and like "I Want to Hold Your Hand" is definitely a pop song. I think later they evolved into like weirder music that was not necessarily pop. But like to me, pop is kind of like invented in the eighties. <laughs> With, like, Michael Jackson, basically. is like, that's synthesizers. It's mostly, like, not, like, live bands playing. Well, but see... Doesn't Michael, have to be. But Michael Jackson in particular... That's really interesting, though, that your frame of reference for it is Michael Jackson. Because he himself bought up most of the Beatles' catalog. He bought most of their songbook. Mm-hmm. Like, he literally bought the rights to most of their songs. The musical choices Michael Jackson made in his productions were of the time, especially during the 80s, and he did have a lot of the synthesized stuff. But he also stood apart from a lot of other pop acts of the time because he went with real instruments, and he went with live recording of all of the music. And I feel like Michael Jackson, as a songwriter, absolutely thought of himself in the kind of same lineage as the Beatles. I feel like I would call the Beatles rock and roll. I would call most of the pop popular songs of the 70s probably rock and roll or disco. And it's not really until the 80s where I would really say, like, that's pop music. Well, I have a whole list here. <laughs> okay. Of, oh no. Of pop stars. She brought a list. Elvis, right? You're Well, I well, most of them are female because okay. we were talking about females today. Way back in the day, Dusty Springfield, Nancy Sinatra, Donna Summer, Diana yes. Ross, Aretha Franklin, going up to Blondie, Debbie Gibson, Whitney yes. Houston, Kylie Minogue, Alanis, Cindy Lauper, Madonna, Janet Jackson, Robin, Celine Dion, Annie Lennox, Paula Abdul, Mariah Carey, Britney, Jessica, Mandy, Christina, Pink, Nelly Furtado, I got a whole list, Michelle yes. Branch, Vanessa Carlton, Avril Lavigne, Ashley Simpson, Hilary Duff, Lindsay Lohan, Hoku, Gwen Stefani, Hoku. <laughs> Fergie, Lily Allen, Amy Winehouse, Rihanna, Katy Perry, Kesha, Taylor Swift, Lady Gaga, Selena Gomez, Carly Rae Jepsen, Beyonce, Sia, Ariana Grande, Adele. All right, Seth, cut half of those out. <laughs> I oh, mean, but I refuse. Would you? There's so many different styles. No, I in this distinctly list. had a moment on that list where I was like, "That's pop," and it was Whitney Houston. Oh, really? Yeah. Not until I got to Whitney Houston. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Because Blondie, I felt feel is kind of like a rock band even though uh, no 
technically, Blondie was a punk band. Blondie were playing at CBGB's in the 1970s, along with, like, the Talking Heads and television. Again, these these lines become very blurred over time, because I think our understanding of, like, what different approaches are becomes blurred over time, and that's good. But all of the people that Becky listed, they're all pop musicians. And what's popular changes. But I think the essential element, whether, like, with Blondie, they were the people writing the songs, or with Britney or Christina, like, they have teams of songwriters, is that, like, they're going for things that are earworms, they're going for melodies that will stick in your head, they're going for lyrics that are accessible and that you can connect to no matter who you are. And again, like, while the instruments change over time and some things get more synthesized or not, like, I feel like there's an essential element of pop music that stays the same across time. I don't know. I kind of feel like before... I mean, I'm just using Whitney Houston as a barometer, kind of. But, like, Blondie, there still feels like something that's, like, authored about that. And that is specific to them. And Whitney Houston feels like an artist who's singing someone else's songs. And singing them very, very well. But to me, that's, like, a really distinct But I think that's also part of the dialectic. Like, it's always an argument between those things of, like, authorship and performance. Because, Becky, you talked about, like, Nancy Sinatra and, like, Bang Bang, My Baby Shot Me Down. Like, that it, she did not write that song, but that's a thing we asso- that's a song we associate with her and her alone. And, and, like, Dusty Springfield, like, these boots were made for walking. Like, they didn't write these songs, but there's but an authorship. Songs. Exactly. They're their songs. Like, there's an authorship in how iconic the performance is. But it's also so fun, like... To listen to them, and and again, like, as much as I hated these these particular performers growing up, it was really interesting to listen to Britney or Christina performing pop music now that I have a broader understanding of, like, pop music. I think, for the record, there's no real answer, (laughs) but I think it's a really interesting discussion. Yeah, yeah. Um, Let's learn about Britney, bitch. (laughs) Britney Jean Spears was born December 2nd, 1981, and I didn't have to research that. I already knew it. (laughs) In Macomb, Mississippi, and raised in Kentwood, Louisiana. She sang in the Baptist Church Choir growing up. She performed in dance, gymnastics, and singing competitions and talent shows. At age eight, she auditioned for the Mickey Mouse Club. The casting agent said she was too young, but introduced her to an agent, and the family moved to New York so she could continue to audition. She performed off-Broadway and on Star Search at age 10.
That was Britney performing some song on Star Search <laughs> and losing to what's his name, who no one cares about. <laughs> that is Michael Buble. Michael <laughs> Buble. Eventually, in 1992, Britney joined the cast of the Mickey Mouse Club in a cast that included Christina Aguilera, Carrie Russell, Ryan Gosling, and future boyfriend Justin Timberlake. And not Jessica Simpson. That'll <laughs> come back later. Simpson. Wait, but all of them at once? Yes. Really? Yes. Okay, that's surprising. Star-studded MMC. Truly! Whoever the casting director of that show was <laughs> should be president of the United States. Yeah, I would put that on my gravestone. Psychic. I cast all these people on <laughs> MMC at the same time. <laughs> the MMC was canceled four years later in 1996. Spears went back home and went to high school, but she wasn't happy being just a normal teenager. In 1997, she met with Lou Perlman, uh, infamous Lou Perlman of NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, right? Backstreet Boys too, and Boys Town, mm, yeah, and all those boys bands, like a lot of them. To perhaps join a girl group called Innocence. <laughs> oh, girl! Uh, family friend and entertainment lawyer Larry Rudolph had Britney record a professional demo and pitched Britney to the record labels instead. Um, he is still her business manager, I believe, or her lawyer, something. He's still around. I remember his name from my Husband, gossip days. Maybe? He's still <laughs> representing her. <laughs> yes. Um, Jive Records signed her and had her work with producer Eric Foster to make her sound more pop. Britney originally wanted to sing music that was like Sheryl Crow for a younger audience. Interesting. But the team of producers assigned to her made her much more pop and dance. Um, she liked to dance, so she was okay with that. She thought that she could dance to her own songs, so uh, that worked out well. The lead single from her debut album was Baby One More Time. It was released October 23rd, 1998. It was originally written for the Backstreet Boys and TLC. Whoa. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> separately or together? I guess oh, if for either, together, for either no. or. I'm not really no. sure. It just said and TLC, so I don't okay. know. It was originally titled Hit Me Baby One More Time, but the label was concerned it would promote domestic violence, so it was shortened. Not the lyric itself. Dude, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Baby One More Time. The song was written by Max Martin, who was a Swedish right. songwriter. He's still a Swedish songwriter. <laughs> yes, he's still with us today. <laughs> but at the time, he was uh, trying to break into the American music industry and was actually trying to make this like an R&B song. What? And didn't do it very well, because it's obviously <laughs> a pop song. Like, he wrote the lyrics to the song, and he was trying to go with, like, Hit Me Up, mm-hmm. and just was Swedish, so he didn't. Oh, <laughs> he didn't really have oh, like, the hit, like, call vernacular me? quite down. Yeah. Like, call me. Like, yeah. Hit me, baby. <laughs> yeah. One more time. So they didn't change it. They That's just a fantastic were like, Swedish. That's, it is, right? I've been practicing for this episode. <laughs> One thing I learned uh, in researching for this episode was that he was working with Robin at the time. Robin's yes. album did come out like two years previous. Yes. <laughs> Robin Williams? Uh, no. No? Um, Robin with a Y. Oh! And he found her too difficult. She had, like, opinions on her 
<laughs> music. So he was like, I want someone who won't have any say. Autonomy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or so they're like, here you go. Here's Britney Spears. I want to talk about that more later. But uniqueness or? The song debuted on the Hot 100 at number 17 and topped the charts two months later for two consecutive weeks in the U.S. The song topped the chart in every country that it was released. It earned Spears her first Grammy nomination for Best Female Pop Performance. And it's one of the best-selling singles of all time with over 9 million copies sold. As for the album, it was the best-selling album of 1999. Britney achieved a number of accolades with the album, including becoming the first new artist, male or female, to have a single go to number one the same week the album debuted at number one. She's also the youngest female in Billboard history to have a simultaneous single and album at number one in the same week. The album has sold over 25 million copies and is the best-selling album by a teenage solo artist of all time. Insane. (laughs) It's crazy. Toxic, frankly. The April 1999 cover of Rolling Stone featured Spears lying on a bed, wearing a bra and very short shorts. The American Family Association referred to the shoot as a disturbing mix of childhood innocence and adult sexuality and called on God-loving Americans to boycott stores selling Britney's albums. I was not a God-loving American because I'm pretty sure I had that Rolling Stone cover. (laughs) Um, She also publicly (laughs) declared she was a virgin around this time and would stay one until marriage. Right. So that's just giving you a little flavor of Britney at the time in 1999. Mm. The singles from Baby One More Time uh, were dot, 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 baby one more time uh sometimes parenthesis you drive me parenthesis crazy <laughs> born to make you happy and from the bottom of my broken heart the the instructions for this episode were just listen to the singles i did give her her album one full listen and i never had before and i never will again but <laughs> what did you guys think of britney upon her debut new year's eve 1998 <laughs> This is my history with Baby One More Time. (laughs) I was at my family's cabin where we often spent New Year's, so I know it was exactly December 31st. (laughs) And my friend Kim's family had a cabin nearby. So I remember her in this location telling me, have you heard of this girl named Britney Spears? She looks like Buffy. I think you'd like her. (laughs) That was my introduction to Britney. She did kind of look like Buffy. (laughs) And I did like her. Dramatic reading, Chris. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've talked before on this podcast about CDs that I made my sister buy <laughs> so that I could listen to them. <laughs> uh, such as uh, Aqua's Aquarium, which had Barbie Girl on it. I was about to say, what was it called? Aqua Time? Aqua's yeah. Ellipsis. Whatever it was called. Aquarium. <laughs> so she bought the CD. I don't know how much she wanted it, but, you know, I wanted her to buy it. <laughs> so there was that. Um, <laughs> she's a singles artist, you know. Like, yeah. I think that was Ar- artist, artist. That was clear even at the time that, like, I mean, I think this is the popular opinion is that there's a few decent songs on the CD, most of which were singles, and the rest is pretty much filler. With this and like pretty much all of these, it's like the albums are not a thing. It's all about the music videos and the whole image of them. Like, watching these music videos is very entertaining for me. Listening to these singles on their own, not very entertaining. I 100% agree. When I told you guys, like, what songs to listen to, I think in the email I said, just watch these music videos. Yeah. <laughs> like, you don't have to li- You shouldn't listen to them. You should watch them. I never owned this album because, as I said, I got into Britney much later. It was real hard to get through the whole thing and even these singles like i would say the standout is baby one more time where 
it's a little grating just because of how famous it is. But like once it gets going, I'm like, show me how I like I'm singing along to it. You know, like I like other Britney songs more, but I'm like, this is a good, like nostalgic, like I'm happy here. Um, But even like you drive me crazy. And sometimes are the better singles on the album. And they were still hard to listen to today as a grown up. (laughs) Yes. Um, and don't I don't even know about Born to Make You Happy and From the Bottom of My Broken Heart like Ooh. fuck that <laughs> but yeah this was a this was a real hard album to listen to and and it was just so clear that like let's take this girl and she knows how to dance and she looks hot and like Britney is fucking gorgeous like especially in these in these few years we're gonna talk about she looks like an anime cartoon and she just looks like this all-american blonde innocent but kind of like like sexy like but not that innocent but not that sexy like in between cartoon thing that like yes (laughs) she has anime eyes she does she has anime eyes and i think all of that made this wonderful package on which to just like hear some songs we don't even give a shit what these songs are but we need you need to release an album and be like a pop culture figure yeah, it was it was so strange and revealing to re-listen to all of these songs that were completely inescapable when I when they came out and kind of in the fullness of time and having more of an understanding of what pop music has always been, the basis of the music industry for the first 70 or 80 years of the music business, it was entirely based on singles. Cuz you bought the single Exactly. That was the make or break for what an artist was. The Beatles specifically changed that. They were the first group to intentionally design an album. Like, the idea of an album as, like, one statement was a thing that only existed, like, with the Beatles on. But again, like, kind of re-listening to stuff and revisiting this stuff now, I got so much more of a sense of how the music industry kind of shifted more like, away from albums and back to singles. And I think it had that moment, that, like, pivot during the Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, like, all of these pop sensations, and also the boy bands. Like, they were all singles groups, and they they had completely unimaginable success. But, like, specifically success as singles groups only. No one would argue for Britney Spears as, like, an album performer, I Not would, until later. I would later. We would later. Not until later. <laughs> later. <laughs> I will disagree with you later. <laughs> but no, for now. I think that's definitely true for this entire era. There are no songs, I think, on any of these albums where you're like, oh, like maybe this should have been. Gem. Yeah. <laughs> like- <laughs> it's all filler except for like what you've already heard before. Well, but that's the other part is that like re-listening to it now, like I finally had the moment of having to reconcile and admit to myself that Britney Spears like released some earworms. Oh, yes. Like, Why is that hard to to say? Like it's true. Again, like so much of so much of the like pop culture that I was into at the time when the song was out specifically made fun of Britney Spears and specifically made fun of these types of songs. And again, like when I was in college, like hearing like toxic and slave for you, like all of that, like there was still an element of me that like resisted the airworm nature of it. 
But again, like now knowing knowing that I love pop music on a deep and abiding level, like re-listening to it now, I was like, okay, these are really good pop singles. <laughs> like there are a lot of really good pop singles here. Um, and I don't think they're amazing songs either, but like, because I, again, in even revisiting them now, I still feel like they're all written by committee. And, like, you can hear that they're written by, like, five or six different songwriters. And they are, yeah. And they are. And they are. But they're undeniable pop music. And, like, the rhythms and the melodies. Again, it's like, as a pop music fan, I can't deny that I enjoyed listening to some of these songs again. I'm happy to hear that. (laughs) I want to just talk about this album, Britney's debut album. Just so much of it is all about her relationship to a guy. Hmm. And it's it's just bothersome. And I think, like, having a daughter <laughs> and, like, being a grown-up now and looking at this and seeing these music videos where she is so sexualized. She was 16 years old when, okay. when this came out. Watching the video for Baby One More Time was disturbing to me. <laughs> like, it was I troubling. so much to say about that. <laughs> I just, maybe being a parent to a daughter brings something out, or maybe just getting over that hump yourself and being an adult looking back. But I just, I wanted to give this girl a hug <laughs> and yeah. just be like, and cover her up and just be like, oh my God, like, like, you wouldn't really wear that. Obviously, she is a she is a child. She's a child. She she's was 16. a child at this point. And like, it's, I think it's a little bit um, no, it's still in this era with this album. Like, just what she's wearing and... Oh, I was watching the album, the video for Lucky, um, which is the next album. But, like, it's even this kind of a serious song. Like, it's talk- it is talking about self-identity, but she's wearing this, like, tiny little, like... Like, even serious Britney in it is wearing this tiny little thing where her entire midriff and, like, up to her underboob is exposed. She's never not wearing a bra, basically. Yeah. And only a bra, to be honest. Or no bra. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it makes me, like, really sad that this is the image that they're putting out to young girls and that they put this young girl in this, like, in these outfits, in these situations, because she is such a great performer and uh, she's so athletic looking. They could have put her in anything and they decided to put her in this thing that, like, shows off her body in a sexualized way. Well, and again, like, what it reminded me of was Fiona Apple's first music video for Criminal, Mm -hmm. where she is, like, writhing around in a bikini and nothing else. Like, it's so discordant with everything I know about her and everything, like, about the song and all of that. But that was the basis of her, like, initial popularity and, like, winning the MTV Music Award, like, Music Video Award Mm -hmm. or whatever it was. I had more appreciation now for the degree to which kind of the, the music video and needing to make a music video to launch a career like that really exploited someone's image. 100% disagree. Wait, what? Whoa! But my first, before I get there, is my question is, like, what did you think at the time? Were you scandalized by Britney Spears? Did you feel like this mm. was, like, a really provocative image? No. Okay. I, but but I internal, you internalize it. You don't think it's provocative. You think, oh, I'm supposed to look like that. That's what's accepted. You don't think, oh my god, it's scandalous, like, cover her up. You think, oh, that's what that's what girls are supposed to look like? Like, I don't look like that. I must hate myself. 
or I have to try to look like that because that's what's mainstream and that's what people like. And and even like even at the time I saw it as a oh wow, this is what's like expected of girls my age, young women my age. Like mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was kind of troubling like seeing it when it first came out. But I was a child. I wasn't an adult, so I don't know what the adults thought. Yeah, you know? I mean, I can see that. I feel like a lot has been made of Britney Spears as this, like, sexualized icon, which is not completely unfounded. But I also feel like too much is made of that. And to me, like, she's not wearing anything that you don't see on a high school cheerleader. But every face that, she, like, every face she makes in that video is like a fuck me face like a fuck me right now that was one of the few notes i made about like these music videos is like there is something like she knows or at least the filmmaker whoever the director or producer was they know what they're getting out of her as far as a performance she is wearing stuff that uh, a normal schoolgirl wouldn't wear like the whole fact that she takes the normal schoolgirl outfit and like rides it up so that and her, her shirt n- is up and like specifically her performance is seductive like it's intentionally no, seductive i totally read read it differently okay wow. so for one what this whole music video was her idea the original idea for this video was to animate her and make her like a sailor moon kind of character what? yeah like anime situations? Yeah. Why would you want to animate somebody's debut? You want to see what they look like. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Terrible idea, but that was yeah. the original idea for oh, the director. Lordy. And she was like, no, I want to be in high school dancing with boys and, you know, like be cute. The midriff was her idea. The Catholic school girl outfits were her idea. The whole music video is framed through a fantasy of hers, which I think is a really different thing than you get from the rest of of most of this pop music, is that, like, she is thinking of herself doing this thing instead of, like, it being kind of a male gaze. Like, I find this actually, like, a quite empowering (laughs) music video. Once I, like... And it wasn't something that I had ever thought about before, like, looking at it for this podcast. It wasn't, like, this is a long-standing opinion of mine. This is something that I found, like, in the last few days looking at this, was that she's sitting in class, she's bored, and she is thinking about, like, basically her high school kind of, like, as a musical, and just playing out this teen drama all through her perspective. And I know that she's the one who actually, like, chose this outfit, chose the setting, and that it's very teenage. It's very, like, I'm having this, like, feeling that I my loneliness is killing me and I <laughs> I still believe uh no look it's not Christina's dirty video <laughs> no it's not that and I just I feel like I saw like I saw Gwen Stefani's midriff before I saw Britney Spears's like I I'm just so not scandalized by this see I don't but I don't think scandal is the right word I don't think anyone's like oh my god I right I and there's a difference between Gwen Stefani's midriff and her the, her behavior in it and how the, she's shot. And I think in this, the 16-year-old, and Gwen Stefani wasn't 16 when she was bearing her midriff, the 16-year-old in this video is being leered at by the camera. I think that's bullshit, honestly. Really? I just, I feel like... I really disagree. I, no, I just like, feel like... 
I feel like Brittany, I think she knows what she's doing. She's taking this, like, schoolgirl porn is a thing. It was already a thing. But, like, mm-hmm. Brittany did not invent that. That was already, like, a fantasy that men had. She is taking that and just, like, taking ownership of it and saying, like, yeah, guys like this. Like, but I feel like it's an acknowledgement of something that is already there. Like, I don't feel like she's creating anything new. It's just kind of, like, her taking ownership of something that previously has been owned by men and I feel like this is really her like in her debut saying like I know what you're thinking and I'm going to just like give it to you but in a way where it's also I think that would be great if she was older and also if she wasn't marketed to kids yes Later, I don't have as much a problem with this when she's older and she's not totally marketed to kids. And and truly, I wanted to... Look, I had few expectations going into this. What I heard of Britney and all of these pop girls, I wanted to hear more authorship. I wanted to come away understanding that they had more of their own voice in the crafting of the songs and the videos. But especially with this first video, I... I got a creepy, leering feeling, watch it, especially watching the music video. Hmm. I mean, I just read so much about how this was, like, she kind of authored this. And I think more so than, like, pretty much anyone else authored anything else that we're going to talk about today. I mean, there's never been a time when 15 or 16-year-old girls have not been sexualized. And I like that this video just kind of calls it out instead of, like, letting it play out in the background. That's fair. That's fair. But I also think that maybe if it is a reflection of Brittany Jean's own point of view, um, <laughs> I think her point of view is more limited. And even if it is the case that she had more of an authorial voice in her persona as a pop musician and in these music videos, I still think it comes off as more traditionally patriarchal. It comes off as more a pop icon wanting to be objectified and not demanding any more than that. But also, like Becky was mentioning, I do think she subverts that later on. I do think that she does learn better as she develops more as a pop musician. Um, but especially in, in that first video, it was a bit creepy. I think she's owning her creepiness. <laughs> the second single from Baby One More Time was Sometimes. A lovely little love song. Sometimes I run. My note from watching this video was, she's so pretty. (laughs) And her midriff is so bare. It is is very nice. Uh, I really think that in this entire era, she was, like, the prettiest human being in the world. Like, she just has this, like, doll-like look. She looks like an anime cartoon. She looks like... She looks like a Barbie doll or anime character. She looks like a doll. And That's she's a very like, pretty doll, and then later she's a hot doll. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes, this is the pretty era. Although, I don't know if you noticed this in the video. Like, everyone's wearing all white, including Britney, but she's wearing these, like, chunky black sneakers mm-hmm. that stand out <laughs> so much. Well, like, she's the star. She gets to stand out. But why is she wearing chunky black sneakers? It's so... Like, if she was wearing all black, that would that would stand out. But it's just, like, all white, like everyone else. But, like, j- 
like all I can see in this video are sneakers. Like the entire video is sneakers to me. <laughs> Just me. I don't know. Maybe you had the ability to connect with Brittany like you did with Barbie and seeing all of the accessories that you could pair them with. You were the one who brought up accessories, but I would not <laughs> say that my affinity for Brittany at this time was unlike an affinity for Barbie. Her next single was Crazy, released August of 99. To me, this is Britney, like, actually becoming Britney and proving that she's not, like, a one-hit wonder. Like, this is another hit mm-hmm. single... And another good song, in fact, maybe a better song than Baby One More Time. Better. Seth. It's still an earworm. They're very similar. They're well, not Undeniably, it's an earworm. But I feel like it's the same song as Hit Me Baby One More Time. It is the same song as many other of her hit singles. I have a question. I, Where are they in the music video? <laughs> at a also 50s that. diner slash rave warehouse? Factory warehouse? <laughs> <laughs> They're at a place. <laughs> it's green tinted. It is green tinted. Um, there's definitely like a brief 50s diner thing, but that doesn't really last very long. It doesn't last long. <laughs> it doesn't really They're settle at there. <laughs> and Adrian Grinney's. Yeah. The cast of this music video is incredible. Because they were in the movie, You Drive Me Crazy. Uh, right, so that's why. That's why. Uh, like, this is a nice uh, testament to why cross promotion is a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, this would be a perfectly iconic music video, and then, like, Melissa Joan Hart is like rocking out in the corner, and you're like, "What is Sabrina?" She is so doing? insistent the whole music video. Ugh. First, she was Clarissa, now she's Sabrina. Yes, <laughs> doesn't matter. She's all the us. Yeah. Melissa, Sabrina, Clarissa. Brittany is very pretty again in this video. She is very pretty. She dances well. So, like, at this point, she was already popular enough that they named an entire movie after her song. Like, they changed the title of this movie. This movie... (laughs) Did you watch it in preparation? (laughs) I did not, but I think (laughs) the fact that we did an entire episode on 1999 teen movies at the prom... And this is one of those, and we didn't talk about this movie, <laughs> is a testament to how good this movie is. That right. we There were three other movies that were on exactly the same subject this year that we covered, and we couldn't even quite get to this one. <laughs> it's a forgettable movie, Yeah, but it's a, it's a pretty good single. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. Next, pretty good. just to mention them, to not mention them, Born to Make You Happy and Bottom of My Broken Heart, both were, really, were released in December 1999. My thoughts on these singles are that they obviously didn't expect her to have more than three singles. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I can't end this section without saying that the song that holds up the least is Email My Heart. Email My Heart. (laughs) (laughs) It's terrible. It's not even a good song with bad lyrics, like Phonography on another Britney album. It's a bad song with bad lyrics that do not hold up. It's been hours, seems like days 
For one, this is disturbing. <laughs> Throughout this album, is like you can tell that these songs were not written for Britney's vocal range because she sounds bizarre on this song. It's just not. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. No, it, it's not good. I didn't want to bring it up myself. She can do a thing, and then sometimes, <laughs> and not much more. Yeah. Not all of the songs is what she should. She should <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> Did you have a second point? <laughs> I, don't know I just don't know what email my heart means. <laughs> like, are you sending emails directly to myheart at AOL.com? Or are you emailing a heart to someone? Like, What's the difference? Why can't she just mail her heart? Why does right? she have to email, email her is heart? Email faster. <laughs> <laughs> Mail takes at least it? two days. Ugh. <laughs> I mean, they're like, this is a current thing that the kids are doing. I know. Email my heart. <laughs> also, fax her vagina. Like, I like that the kids are emailing. Like, just just those whippersnappers. Yeah. Emailing each other. The kids. Uh, let's move on to Christina Aguilera. We have so many more to go. We so. have so many more. Christina Maria Aguilera <laughs> was. Born- was born on December 18, 1980, on Staten Island, New York. Her father was in the military, and the family moved all over the U.S. and Japan. She and her mother have said that Christina's father was physically and emotionally abusive, which he denies. Her parents divorced when she was six, and she and her mother moved to Pittsburgh. And her sister. They didn't leave her behind. (laughs) Christina was known as the little girl with the big voice. She performed the Star Spangled Banner at local Pittsburgh sports games. She competed on Star Search at age 10. When she was 14, she recorded her first song with a Japanese artist named Kizo Nakanishi called All I Want to Do. We don't like it. (laughs) No, I don't think anyone did. Christina recorded a cover of Whitney Houston's Run to You and sent it to Disney to put her in contention to record the song from Mulan named Reflection. They hired her and it was a modest hit and garnered interest in Aguilera by RCA. Initially, RCA wanted to make Aguilera's debut something like, here's this amazing singer, kind of like Barbara Streisand, and put the focus all on her voice because she did have a very powerful voice. Um, They were pressured by the contemporary teen pop craze uh, spearheaded by Britney Spears. Spears headed. <laughs> um, so instead, they decided that she's going to be part of this teen pop craze and just kind of do what Britney's doing instead of mainly focusing on her voice. Yeah. They decided the lead single off the album would be Genie in a Bottle. Um, it was released June 22nd, 1999. Her debut album was a huge success. It went eight times platinum. Um, and had Jesus. two number one singles, What a Girl Wants and Jeannie in a Bottle. She won Best New Artist at the 2000 Ceremony of the Grammys. She beat Britney Spears, 
Natalie Imbruglia, the Dixie oh. Chicks, the Backstreet Boys, Whoa. Macy Gray, Kid Rock, I'm not done, Andrea Bocelli, and someone named Susan Tedeschi. Why were there so many nominees? I don't know. Do they nominate everyone who released a new song that year? I don't know, but she beat all of them. And I think that's pretty impressive, actually. Christina Aguilera's debut album was released August 24th, 1999. That was about half a year of Britney taking over the pop scene before Christina debuted. The singles on the album were Jeannie in a Bottle, What a Girl Wants, I Turn to You, and Come On Over Baby, parenthesis, All I Want Is You, parenthesis. <laughs> what do you guys think of Christina's debut album? Poor Christina Aguilera. <sighs> yeah. All right, let's get this out of the way. She is a better singer. Everyone knows this. <laughs> this is probably a better song than Britney's songs. What is Genie in a Bottle? Genie Bottle, okay. Yeah. It's kind of a clever metaphor for a young girl who wants to fuck. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's inescapable. Every single one of these women is inviting you to fuck. But I feel like Brittany was able to imply I'm a genie in a bottle without actually saying it. You gotta rub me the right way? Yeah, that that was her whole shtick, was like, you have to... But really, though, like, going forward in her career, she has always seemed like the pop girl who wants to let you know that she wants to fuck. She's DTF, yes. She is DTF <laughs> in Wait, the are most... Are about Britney or Christina? Christina. Okay, Christina! Yeah. Oh, Christina. Oh. No, I feel like Britney like, implied it, and it was like yes. a, a subtext, and it was like, <laughs> mm, maybe you want to fuck me, but I'm not going to let you. Virgin's on marriage. Like, Christina's <laughs> like, I'll fuck you. I mean, this is an opinion that I didn't, like, carry before this podcast was going to come to be, because I didn't have strong opinions about any of this. But I feel like her lyrics actually were pretty teen-friendly across the board until maybe Slave for You. Yes. (laughs) Very much. I think that was a turning point. Yeah. But this is the debut single from Christina Aguilera, which is basically, like, saying, I want to fuck you. You have to finger me. Why do you say poor? And then I'll fuck you. Why do you say poor Christina Aguilera? Because she came out in this, like, era in front of Britney Spears where it was, like, inevitable that she would be compared to her. And probably, in retrospect, they should have done... Counter-programming? Yes, and and said, like, she's the girl with the voice. Instead, they tried to make her, like, a clone of Britney Spears. And it was just like, okay, this is a good song. It's very catchy. But, like, she did not have what Britney Spears had. She isn't as good a dancer. No, she's not as good a dancer. She's a better singer, but, like, the whole persona was just, like, I don't buy you as this, like, sort of, like, innocent, but also, like, slightly down to fuck girl. is like, you're just down to fuck. And it, it's just not as interesting. Like, she's not an interesting performer in this video. She's, she's like, kind of, I don't mean to slut shame her, but she's a little bit trashy. 
But I think she is that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, but that's... Which we'll talk about later. <laughs> yeah. No, well. like, her persona, her character as a pop performer was always more sexually aggressive and I think that was intentional from the very first single and also is a through line in her entire career like even with Dirty because again like I'm thinking of even though I grew up in New Orleans like I was a very well-behaved kid until I came to LA and went to (laughs) gay clubs and all of that stuff like you were dirty Right. Right. Like, dirty, like, dirty is not a subtle concept. (laughs) It has two R's. It has two R's. And no clothes. (laughs) And it is stripped. Again, no clothing. I feel like Britney, like, at least in all of her singles, had this, like, sort of, like, you have to work. Girl next door. To get me. Like, I'm not just gonna, like, spread my legs for you well <laughs> and christina was like i'll do it i don't okay i don't super get that just because she has lyrics like i'm gonna rub you the right way i don't i don't know if it's her if it's the label they want her to be a carbon copy of britney they want to be her their version of britney mm-hmm. and and they're just not as successful because it's a carbon copy they're trying to do and she has something special and they're using it minimally when they could be focusing on it which is her voice I actually think, spoiler for Jessica and Mandy, I think <laughs> that Jeannie in a Bottle, What a Girl Wants and Come On Over Baby are far better songs than anything else that these girls released on their 1999 albums, at least. Um, including Britney. Including Britney. When I was listening to all these songs, the only one I didn't make like a, a groany face at when it first came on were those three songs. I actually started and I was like, oh, like, I kind of like this still. When's the last time I listened to Genie in a Bottle? But like, I genuinely liked them. Like, I wasn't embarrassed to listen to them. I liked it. I sang along with them. I thought they were fun and, and that they held up as pop songs. You know, you'd think that I would favor Britney, but at least in this year, I think Christina had the better songs. I don't really disagree with that. I think that the songwriting of those songs is better. What a girl wants. The video, (laughs) the context of the video is that she sits down her boyfriend with his friends and performs a song about how she's glad he didn't rape her. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what are the lyrics of the song? What a girl wants, what a girl needs, whatever makes me happy sets you free, and I'm thanking you for giving that to me? Yeah, she's thanking him for not raping her. What? Where's the rape part? She's thanking him for giving her time. It's just saying, you're not pressuring me. It's not raping. You're pushing this too far. Am I? You're the person that thought Beauty and the Beast was about rape. (laughs) It is. It is. I don't agree with this. Pressuring someone is not the same as full-out raping them. All right, fine. (laughs) She's thanking him for not pressuring her to have sex. To me, this is so much more problematic than Britney Spears, who, despite being a very provocative figure, I feel like none of her songs or videos really have the context of, like, trying to please a man. But they're all about men. Again, I really disagree. They're all about men. Again, like, the 
The oops, I did it again. Like, almost every face she made was like a fuck me face. Like, it was really surprising to me because as much as Christina Aguilera's, like, all her first singles were about, like, lyrically about seduction, her music videos were more empowered and all of her early music videos, like, had the... It seemed like she was in the power position. Oh, I so disagree with that. I so really? disagree with that. Like, I feel like she... The difference between Baby One More Time, which is Britney Spears' own fantasy, versus What a Girl Wants, which is Christina Aguilera sitting down her boyfriend and performing for him, is so different. And I feel like she is so much trying to please a guy. And for Britney, I, I don't know. I'd never get that sense. I get that sense that she's, like, trying to okay please herself. This brings up another question for me, which is, do you consider the songs the official document? Or do you consider the music videos the official document? Because exactly. yes. I feel like there's some difference between them. Definitely. And I, like, for this episode, I decided to focus on the videos because I feel like the songs are written by committee. Like, it's not a statement of these personal feelings. And the way I experienced these songs was all through the videos. It was through TRL. I like that moment in What a Girl Wants, though, when it's like goes into a fantasy and she's like on a couch and it's all like Marie Antoinette. <laughs> like, I just like that moment. I think that's like a, a, a cute moment that would have even like been in a video today of somebody's first or second, you know, they're, here's, here I am performing and dancing. And then there's like, a, I don't know, like, I just liked that moment. It didn't feel <laughs> dated to me. Ugh. It felt a little like. It was random. <laughs> Ugh. But I liked it. No, it felt so Carson Daly again. Like, I feel like so much of this whole era is a product of TRL and like the end stage of music videos being a primary way that young people experience new pop artists and pop performers for the first time. I feel like this was kind of the end of the music video era. Yeah. For a time, and then it came back. It came back with Gaga, for sure. Oh, I totally agree with that. But I do think this was the end of a couple things. I think 1999, and especially these female pop performers, it was the end of the album as a statement, and it was kind of the last stage of music videos as the way you would be introduced to a new artist. I think that's fair. I mean, I think that leads us into Come On Over, which was released July 2000. Come on over, baby, parenthesis, all I want is you, parenthesis. Yes, that would be it. I think that's her most iconic I video. think so, yeah. Yeah, with the hair and the it's all white. The red hair, yeah. Yeah. I also feel like this is the video that like introduces Christina Aguilera as we know her, which is the hot girl in the dive bar in New Jersey <laughs> with the tramp stamp. Yeah. Sh- oh, God. Just watching all these videos for these women, I was like, you are starving, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> You're starving. Oh. 
you get so many messages from popular culture, both in movies and music, as far as like what appropriate weight is and what weight is desirable. And, and I got so many messages both in pop music and in movies about what was like an undesirable weight. And I do think that alongside like the fact that Christina Aguilera was a more like had a more sexually forward image i also think that like the skinniness was part of it were the messages that you got emails to your heart <laughs> they were okay on AOL i feel like Christina Aguilera like debuted as a woman whereas Britney Spears debuted as a girl, and that was kind of like not a yet fundamental, a woman. <laughs> fundamental difference between them. She was seventeen as opposed to sixteen. Yeah, so. wow. <laughs> I don't know. Christina Aguilera just like even in Ginny and Bottle seems like she knows what she's talking about, and Britney Spears still feels like a teenager to me. So when I see like Christina Aguilera talking about how she's like a genie in a bottle, and it's like most of these songs are all about virginity, and I'm just like, mm, I don't buy it, Christina Aguilera. <laughs> Well, but with Britney, I kind of do. I don't know. That brings up like a whole other part of this to me is that like there is the trope of the Madonna whore complex mm-hmm. and we haven't mentioned it at all. Well, I've mentioned Madonna, but my favorite artist is really whore. <laughs> really like horror had the best approach to all of it. Um, but really- <laughs> her single like a whore was amazing. Well, it's because guys want to have sex with their own property, not someone else's. So they want them to be virginal, but then they want to have sex with them. <laughs> yeah. No, there. it's it's the, the duality mm-hmm. and polarity of, like, wanting the female objectified to be very experienced and also completely inexperienced. Mm-hmm. And that's why women can't win. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Structurally, mm-hmm. it's almost like we arrange our whole society around that. It's almost like you're too prudish, or you're too much of a whore, and there's no in between, and you can't win. <laughs> I wasn't gonna bring it up, Becky, <laughs> but really, yeah. Let's move on. Amanda Lee Moore was born April 10th, 1984 in Nashua, New Hampshire, though she moved to the Orlando area when she was two months old. She's the daughter of an airline pilot and a news reporter, and she's the middle child. She was inspired by her grandmother, a professional ballerina, presumably retired by the time Mandy was born. We don't know for sure. (laughs) I mean, a granny ballerina feels like it would be like an extraordinary event, so... (laughs) She performed in school productions and sang the national anthem at local events. This sounds familiar. (laughs) Uh, Before being signed to a label as a young teenager. In 1999, she toured with NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys. Again, sounds familiar to Mm -hmm. all these other people. She was 15 years old when her debut album, So Real, was released. And she was so real. So real. The singles off of uh, So Real were Candy, Walk Me Home, and So Real. (laughs) Do you have any thoughts at all about me? Okay. I remember the song Candy, but I did not realize she was a child. Like a baby. When she sang this song. A baby. A baby. <laughs> baby, baby. She looks so young. I've said my piece about Britney, but like Mandy Moore made constant 
fuck me faces. Yeah, I'm looking at them right now. This is what I was talking about with the, you gotta eat a sandwich. Like, she it's looks really, so tiny. She is so skinny. Yeah. Well, it's not even you have to eat a sandwich. It's like you have to finish puberty. <laughs> she is, yes. Yeah, she too. is being trafficked. Well, we know what she looks like now. She's on TV now. Like, so just seeing her like this. I know. She looks I like know. such a carbon copy, skinny. Like, like it seems like it's so not her, the her that she would eventually become. Yeah. That it just looks so like it's so it's strange so, seeing her like so, this. Yeah, she's she's 15 when she's making this video. Oh my god, um, she's very 15. Yeah, she's she looks 15. V- unlike incredibly most of the rest 15. Of these girls, like yes. who all look, even if they're not, they look like adult women. Mm-hmm. She just has this kind of gawky body that's like tall yeah. and skinny and like not really developed. And she looks really awkward, like just like the way that she kind of conducts herself in this video. <laughs> yeah, her lip syncing is like way like it's off. too much. It's off. Yeah, it's she's, not on. She's like doing <laughs> Britney lip syncing, but like it doesn't look like she's actually lip syncing to her own yes. music. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's just feels so much like a carbon copy. Like, let's try to make a Britney thing happen here. Yeah. Please. <laughs> to that end, I kind of love the song more than most of the songs. Candy. From this era. Yeah, it's a pretty catchy song. It's it's catchy enough that I it's remember catchy. it. Yeah, yeah no, that's the it. thing. Like, I again, I was not listening to mainstream pop radio at this point, but, like, I remember the song. Also, I'm missing you like candy. She has to eat something. That's what the song lyrics are. <laughs> she needs carbs. Again, <laughs> carbohydrates. <laughs> The lyrics, the technical lyrics are sweet to me like sugar to my heart. She says, sweat to May <laughs> like sugar to my heart. Like there was a whole May thing. <laughs> May. Okay. Can 90s. we talk about May? It's gonna be May. It's gonna be May. <laughs> One way or another. Justin Timberlake would sing that like a sync, and that was definitely a Britney thing. I guess it was a Mandy Moore thing. I never yeah. really thought of her as, as being in that. I feel like she's actually kind of the worst. That does. Okay. <laughs> I guess it's because with Brittany, it's May. It is. May. It is. It's all her. It sounds like they wanted her to sound like Brittany. <laughs> it did. is. Yes, I, I think that was the story for like two years of pop music. Be more, be more Brittany. I just there's nothing. I got. I I am so indifferent on Mandy Moore. I got nothing. <laughs> she I seems find, pleasant. I, don't I find know. <laughs> Candy to be one of the better singles from this era, whereas the rest of Mandy Moore's entire discography is like no. Yeah, we listened to some of her other stuff. Is she is the is crush? Ooh, I've got a crush on you. Yep. That one. All right, that one's okay. I need to talk about So Real, which was her third single from this album which was not even released in the u.s was that the one where the music video has random cuts to locations on college campuses no it was the one with the sunflowers okay 
I missed that one. I think I missed that one. The opening of it is, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, now hit it. Oh no. And then the first line of the song is, innocence is what I've got. It'll take true love to hit the spot. Oh my. No! Later in the song, it says, it's my innocence that makes you yearn for the perfect gifts you can't return. Oh my god. Why is a 15 year old singing about this? It is a super virginity song. All of these girls were singing about virginity in some way or another, but this song is creepy as fuck. Like, well, it you, know what? Feel... you know what, though? Like, this is something that kids that age do have to deal with. Like, should I have sex? Should I not have sex? Who yes. should I have sex with? Yes. You know, so maybe maybe it's more relevant than I, I'm even giving it credit for, that, that kids around 15 are, like, wondering if they should have sex or not. To me, there's a big difference between Britney Spears and Mandy Moore. And I don't know exactly what it is, but I feel like Britney Spears was the author of this. And I just feel bad for Mandy Moore when I see her in this video or all of these videos. And she's like, she just looks awkward. She does not look comfortable. There's no real identity for Mandy Moore. There's not. Yeah. Like, it's even, not much. Even if Britney's it's identity in 1999 wasn't authentic to her. That's what she decided, or the label decided to present to it, and all the other ones are like, "Well, let's just do that." So then it yes. then it definitely doesn't feel authentic to them because it looks like yeah. they're just copying her. Well, and also like agreeing with Becky, both you and Chris, like I think that it's clear. It was clear to me now, like re-listening to all these songs and re-watching the videos, like that Britney was the trailblazer. In that sense, like, setting the trend, and everyone followed. Mm-hmm. Everyone followed in her wake. Yeah, there's just something about Mandy Moore where she looks, like, so much younger than the other she girls. Is. And she, she was is. younger. Yeah. But like, she also looks not... like it. She was, yeah, 14 when she recorded, and then 15 in that music. Like, the other girls look like women, even if they were older. The only other thing I wanted to say about Mandy Moore... Is that in the early 2000s, she took a turn toward the Alanis Morissette, like writing her own songs. Dying her hair brown. <laughs> Dying her hair brown. She was so serious. <laughs> she went to India and found herself. Wait, did she? I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> but she sounded more Alanis. She went to Indiana and found herself. <laughs> yeah, no, it's easier to find yourself there. She turned more Alanis Morissette and wrote her own songs and they were total flops but she sounded more Alanis and also more like latter day Madonna like more ray of light-ish and heresy (laughs) I say heresy to that she did not sound anything like either of those artists she sounded like garbage I don't know there is a song in my pocket and it's pretty good (laughs) I liked it (laughs) I have to admit isn't that an Alanis song? Hand in my pocket is Alanis. Hand in my pocket. Well, I don't like Not him. in my pocket. Oh, this one, when she's at that weird club. All right, that's all I can take. <laughs> Vito. <laughs> Speaking of Vito, let's talk about Jessica Simpson. <laughs> let's, let's please. Do. Jessica Ann Simpson was born in Abilene, Texas, to a homemaker and a Baptist youth minister on July 10th, 1980. She is the eldest child, the older sister of a girl named Ashley. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even say her name without laughing. Nope. (laughs) Oh, Lord. 
She began her singing career in a church choir after recording a debut album on a small label that went bankrupt before its release. She caught the eye of Tommy Mottola, former husband and manager of Mariah Carey. Yes, yep. and head of Columbia Records at the time. They said she had something different. She could actually sing. <laughs> As opposed to Britney and... Really? Christina? I mean, yeah. I don't know. So her father became her manager. Her mom became her stylist. In 1998, at the age of 18, she met 24-year-old Nick Lachey at a Christmas party. He went home and told his mom that he would marry her someday. Well, he wasn't wrong. Oof. No. Mom, I'm going to marry and then divorce her one day. <laughs> Creepy. But, but there will be wrong. a reality show in the middle. Right. Tommy Mottola wanted to market her as an alternative to Britney and Christina with an anti-sex appeal image. <laughs> By putting her in a midriff. Oh my god. <laughs> that is the right reaction. Oh my god. Oh. Her debut album was called Sweet Kisses. What? <laughs> <laughs> its lead single, I Wanna Love You Forever, hit number three on the Billboard Hot 100. Is there a reason in the music video that she's just in front of a plane? Like a like a propeller plane? Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yes. Oh, oh, I know. I don't get it. No, she's getting her picture taken in front of a crop dusting plane. <laughs> and sunflowers. Why a crop dusting plane? It doesn't make any sense. That's what was there at the studio that day. And they're like, well, oh I guess that's in the video. I oh guess. <laughs> So, when Jessica Simpson was a young girl, she auditioned for the Mickey Mouse Club <laughs> opposite Christina Aguilera. And when she saw Christina Aguilera perform, she froze and then could not perform. Aww. And apparently that's why she did not get on. Wow. She ended up dropping out of high school to complete her music career. So I tried to look her up on Wikipedia. Yeah? She's on Wikipedia. Her dad is not. Okay. Her dad has scrubbed Wikipedia, I swear. This is true. Because there used to be a Joe Simpson Wikipedia page, and it is gone. How do you know there used to be? What? Because there's a page for it, but it just says, like, blank now. Okay. Oh, interesting. I googled a lot of Joe Simpson plus different things. Very, very little came up. It oh my goodness. is disturbing because I, I know that he has a bad reputation as being mm -hmm. kind of like a pimp for her. And yet everything I Googled came up with like pretty positive stuff. Wow. Like he recently had prostate cancer. So that came up a lot. But very little of the scandals that he's been involved in and like weird stuff with his daughter came up. And I really feel like he just like <laughs> scrubbed the internet clean of his image. Yeah. Well, if you had that kind of money, wouldn't you do that <laughs> if you could? Oh 
Well, maybe let's talk about Jessica before we talk about her dad. But her debut single was I Want to Love You Forever. That's right, The Plane. Mm-hmm. Which came out August 31st, 1999. It's a ballad. Like, she can sing, sure. I think. It's what she's singing can isn't she? interesting. No, it's not. Can she sing, though? She, she can sing. Can she? Yes. But really? <laughs> but what she's given to sing is boring. And what she does with her voice isn't interesting. She can hit the notes. Yeah. If, if she was, like, given... An interesting song, she could probably maybe do something with it with direction. But I feel like there's not much. Oh, and I we disagree. know that like later when she was on I the reality, I don't agree. I really don't. I think her her songs are so like shitty and derivative on every level. But also, I don't think I don't think she's a good singer. What do you mean like, by that? You mean not somebody who can hit the notes, but somebody who does something with it? Like, as an artist? Precisely like- that. No, and, and again, like, preparing for this podcast and re-listening to Britney and Christina and all of them, I had so much more an appreciation for, you know, like, Britney's range is very limited, but she knows her angles. She knows the techniques that showcase her range the best and she worked with people who made singles that actually matched her ability and matched her range and her style and all of that i don't remember hearing a single jessica simpson song before getting ready for this and not a single one works, in my opinion. I don't think Jessica Simpson, like, made any of the songs work at all. Well, I think they're bad songs. I think they're bad songs, and I think she's an incompetent singer. I actually think she's maybe the best singer out of these four. Christina? What? Over Christina? Christina. Christina overdoes it. I feel like Jessica Simpson actually has... But that's different things. I guess. I mean, I was surprised by Jessica Simpson's voice because I have not listened to a Jessica Simpson song in years and years and years. And neither she has she. (laughs) (laughs) I actually found that she can actually sing. Like, this isn't even a song that I really remembered, her debut single. I remembered one of her songs, which is I Think I'm In Love With You. I, I did not remember a single song. Like, not even one title. No, I mean, and I don't think there was anything wrong with that. That one I remembered, it was on TRL. And the only reason I really remember it is because it has Jack and Diane as ah, that's the right. That's the one, yes. Yeah, it samples okay. that. At the time, I think I maybe knew that that was also a sample, but it's a very catchy song because of that. But like many things that sample things, it's not really memorable aside from that. So my biggest problem is knowing later, Jessica Simpson does have a fun personality. When she was on the reality show, she has she has a personality. She has something unique about her. Even if it's like a ditzy kind of character, it's still a unique thing. 
and I see all these music videos and she's just so bland and it's unfortunate that they couldn't have taken what was really like interesting about her and put that into her music and in her presentation but they were just trying to be Britney <laughs> yeah alright so <laughs> Like I said, her dad was a Baptist minister. He brought unwed mothers to their home, like, while the girls were growing up, to what? show, like, a cautionary tale. Like, also to kind of, you know, like, help them out. But, like, that was part of, like, his shtick with them. Wait, what was the cautionary tale part? Don't get pregnant. <laughs> or or you'll have these two daughters that I have? <laughs> like, what do you mean? <laughs> no, he just, he just brought other, like, unwed mothers, like, in and... They were, like, you know, down on their luck or whatever. Okay, but cautionary tale means that they're seeing something like, oh, I better not do that. Well, oh, yeah, you mean that like, oh, you mean that the co- was for his daughters? Yes. Oh, okay, yes. I got that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I context. It, I, got it, I got it. Okay. He gave Jessica Simpson a purity ring at 12 years old. Oh, oh no. She then started performing in church choir, but was kicked out because her breasts were too big. That's sad. And it made like fault. men have impure thoughts. Yeah, that's not her fault. That sucks. Uh, it's fucking, I mean, I honestly think it's disgusting. Her dad like will like reference her double Ds yeah. in interviews. What? And also says that 9/11 was responsible for her limited success in music. Oh. Oh yeah, I have a, a thing about that. Yeah. Um, oh. She released oh. an album in 2001. Um, she released two singles, and then a third single was planned to be released, but after the September 11th terrorist attacks, Sony refused to promote a third single. Joe what? Simpson believed it was critical for Jessica's success. He said in a 2004 interview, when those planes crashed into those buildings, it nearly demolished our career. Our career. Our career. Our. Our career. I'm glad our. she didn't say that. Oh, but she did. Oh, did she? <laughs> I found that quote first as well. And I was like, that's disgusting. Little did I know that Jessica Simpson also had her own 9-11 quote. No! Which is, after 9-11, I knew I never wanted to be away from Nick ever for the rest of my life. And that's what brought them back together. That's not as bad as the Joe Simpson <laughs> quote. That's it's not. It's not. It's all no. pretty bad. I don't think it's that that's bad. That's saying like, oh, we're all gonna die one day. Yes. Like I'm gonna I should be with the one I love yes. versus my career was ruined because of a terrorist attack. Yes, yes. And that's that the is- real tragedy here. That's way worse. I mean, okay, it's all bad. <laughs> it's all bad up and down. She's saying something positive came out of a bad experience, and he's saying something bad happened to them. Like yes, where we, how about you don't talk about September 11th? We agree on the fact how about that Jessica Simpson doesn't talk about September 11th. She's from Texas. What does that have to do with anything? Well, it's not like she was like in New York. Whatever. Oh my god. Um, no, we at least agree that all I have of to this talk is more wrong. about Jessica Simpson. No, I was gonna. We okay. do. All right. All right. I. I so her whole shtick, like Britney had the whole virginity thing that was kind of like a PR, whatever. But like for Jessica Simpson, it was like her like entire identity was like she was not going to have sex until marriage. So her whole like persona was built on like this like anti-Britney and Christina. Like she she was supposed to be like the pure one. Mm-hmm. And yet she's like wearing like midriffs in her videos in this first album. Her second album is called Irresistible. Her lead single is called Irresistible. And the whole song is about how she's supposed to wait to have sex but she can't because he's too irresistible. Oh. Her third album is called In The Skin. It was released right after she got married and her, the lead single was Sweetest Sin which is about her losing her virginity to her <laughs> husband it's just like i mean they knew the narrative that was out there 
It's like, yeah. okay, it's fine if you want to be like, yeah. I'm Christian, I'm going to save myself for marriage. But don't, like, fucking make every song you sing about, like, Sex? your virginity. Like, it, well, it's the, really again, gross Chris, I was born and raised in the South, and I'm here to tell you <laughs> that... The Madonna whore complex and the narrative storytelling approach of kind of narrating your own sexuality is a very big thing in quote unquote conservative circles. And Jessica Simpson is very much in that mold. Jessica Simpson has always been a kind of conservative right wing pop star, I would say. Again, it's like her whole approach to her own career has been from the kind of right-wing angle that requires that you both shy away from sexuality visibly, but also very clearly embrace sexuality. (laughs) Like, it's contradictory, but that's what it is. Like, that's that's part of it. Yeah, looking back on it, I just found that whole thing, like, pretty revolting like it for is as much is it like Brittany, hypocritical yeah, it's incoherent as as it's hypocritical as doing like the catholic schoolgirl thing i was like it is way grosser that like her dad specifically pimped out her virginity as a marketing angle yes and then like that's what all her songs were about like at least britney like she may have had a sexy image but like her songs were perfectly like teenage they weren't really that sexy her voice was a little sexy but like I don't know, Jessica Simpson just, like, feels like she's, like, really, like, milking it in a, like, kind of a gross way. Well, it... To me, it felt like Jessica Simpson was being forced to embody that image of sexiness in a way that didn't align with what she wanted. And Britney Spears seemed to, like, at every stage, be doing what she wanted. I totally agree with that. That's that's kind of what I come out with is that like me too absolutely Christina Aguilera feels like she's trying to like please guys Mandy Moore feels too young to even really know what she's doing and Jessica Simpson has this weird like religious thing with her dad and Britney's kind of the only one for me who actually feels like she's in charge of what she's doing like 100% agency I kind of agree with that so my thing with Britney throughout her career is I feel like She's smart enough to know her limitations and she lets other people mold her. So she'll work with she'll work with producers that that take her and do what they want with her, but there is a vision there. Mm-hmm. Um there it, I agree with that. Yeah. And also I, I think that's like what she shares most with Madonna. Like, as a pop performer, she knows to seek out the collaborators who are going to bring out the most up-to-date, current, and just different sides of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was 1999. A very eventful year. A very eventful year. My God. I want to talk about Oops, I Did It Again in 2000 and Britney in 2001. I asked you guys to listen to the singles off these albums. Um, On Oops, I Did It Again, it was released May 16th, 2000. The singles were Oops, I Did It Again, 
Lucky, Stronger, and Don't Let Me Be the Last to Know. And on 2001's Britney, that was released November 5th, 2001. And the singles were I'm a Slave for You, Overprotected, I'm Not a Girl, Not Yet a Woman, I Love Rock and Roll, and Boys. I thought that these albums were an interesting, like, stepping stone. Oops is, like, the perfect stepping stone between Baby One More Time Britney and the very... Uh, sexualized Britney and I'm a slave for you in her on her Britney album. It was just very interesting how slowly like she grew up, <laughs> I guess, in front of us. Right, because we're talking about you know these other artists who Britney came out and she did Baby One More Time and it was sexy, but it was there was something coy about it. And then Christina, these other girls kind of like overdid it, I would say, with the sexuality a little bit or just and made even it if changed it from like text to like just up front in your face right in different ways like i think mandy moore was like a little too young for it but it made it uncomfortable in a way that i don't think it was with britney and then britney came back with oops i did it again which i feel like is the perfect response to what had come before it's a great title for a sophomore album right by the time Oops, I Did It Again came out, Britney was very much a thing. Like, I remember going to Target and buying the CD with my sister, who I made buy the actual CD because I would not <laughs> do that. <laughs> when did you first buy your own Britney CD? <laughs> in the zone. In the zone. Yeah. Okay. And I remember, like, we listened to it in the in my dad's truck on the way home. Like, I, I specifically remember that event because it was an event. Yeah, I feel I feel like this is a really kind of a brilliant second album, second the single the lead single from her second album, which is not something I would have really said before like examining this for the podcast. But this is what I came away with like feeling about Britney Spears is that she was really in control of her own image and I know that we have seen a lot of Britney not being in control <laughs> of various things throughout her career. And yet, I feel like there is much more of an authorship to her than there are to a lot of these other quote-unquote artists. Like, I just feel like she's she still has this teenage thing. It's like this oops, I did it again. It still feels very teenage. Like, I played with your heart. It's, it still feels, well, like, kind of innocent. Even if it's not, like, teenage, it's self-effacing. The aspect of, like, oops. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's kind of gone with every iteration of her image and every version of her, like, Britney Spears character. I mean, the kind of famous line from this is, I'm not that innocent. And it's, yeah. like, such a yeah. response to how people perceived her, which was this kind of, like, I mean, she has this, like, schoolgirl image, and yet people are like, oh, she's so sexy. And it's like, well, she's, like, directly saying that in this song. is like, she's not that innocent. And yet people still kind of ascribe that to her. And she's in this red cat suit in the video. And it's, like, at the time, I don't think it felt like groundbreaking. I don't know if it does now either, but I find it like a really fascinating follow-up to what she had done before, and it feels like it's really like continuing the story that she like ended up telling throughout her career so far.
I feel like the songs on Oops, I Did It Again and even much more on Britney are just get significantly better. Yeah. As far as songwriting goes. Yeah. Um, I only liked maybe like one song off Baby One More Time, which is Baby One More Time. On Oops, I like three of the singles. (laughs) And even Don't Let Me Be The Last To Know sometimes gets in my head. But then on Britney, I think I like the whole album, (laughs) Mm -hmm. generally. And then, I mean, we're not talking about, but beyond that, for a good chunk, I like almost every song off of Britney's album that I would not call. She is a singles artist, but on those albums like Blackout, In the Zone, even Glory, Circus, I would say there's some good stuff on Glory. More, more good than bad. Femme Fatale. Femme Fatale is like start to finish a fantastic album, and just slowly like. But right at the second album, I just feel like there's just more stronger content. And maybe that's just because she became such a big deal that better producers were working with her. But well, she, but she, mean, she said, like, I'll work with these producers and she's choosing interesting people to work with. And that's why I think there is autonomy there, even if it's not genuine to who she is as a person. She's choosing to work with these people that um, that will present her in this really interesting, unique way. Yeah, I mean, I I couldn't agree more. Like, what surprised me the most, listening to all these songs, like, I went through not just the singles, but kind of the B-sides, the obvious Mm -hmm. B-sides. And there were a lot of B-sides. But, like, I, I did come away with the impression that Britney Spears has always been better at picking songwriters and collaborators than almost any of these other pop performers. And that counts for something. Chris, like you were saying, like, I think she played more on and played around with the image of her as a sex pot than almost any of these other pop stars. And she was more knowing about it and more conscious of the way that she was perceived, both from the start, but especially like as her career went on. And it was surprising to me because I never really understood the extent to which she kind of defined the trends for about a decade. Yeah, I kind of want to talk about her second single, Lucky, which came out August 2000, just because it like feels like it predicts a bit of mm-hmm. Britney's own trajectory, where she's talking about being a starlet who's like basically very lonely and unhappy and depressed. I feel like this is Britney's, like, I tried to warn you (laughs) song, even if I I didn't really actually look into, like, who wrote this song. She didn't really get into writing her own songs, I think, until the third album. I mean, this song is cheesy as hell. (laughs) Yes. It's ridiculous. Yes, it is. (laughs) And, yeah, I I feel like there's something... What's cheesier, though? This is a story about a girl named Lucky, or I thought the old lady lost it at the end of the movie. Yeah. (laughs) Britney... Before you go, there's something I want you to have. Oh, it's beautiful. But wait a minute, isn't this? Yeah, yes it is. But I thought the old lady dropped it into the ocean in the end. Well, baby, I went down and got it for you. Oh, you shouldn't have. Which, by the way, that song came out in the year 2000. 
Yeah, three years after Titanic. <laughs> yeah. Titanic was in 1997. Like, I remember... The year thinking, 2000. Oh, that's dated. Like, yeah, at the it was time. dated at the time. It was really dated. It, I do want to bring up that there's... There's a through line with Britney, and there's some cheese factor that she owns throughout her entire career. Yeah, that's true. And there's just an identity there that I think is missing from these other singers, including Christina Aguilera, where I felt like Christina was trying to be somebody different on Stripped, and then she was trying to be this like vampy yes. singer on uh, Back to Basics, which I actually liked, and I was I remember at the time thinking, oh, she found herself. Like she's this Back to Basics like singer that's like she found herself. She's basic. <laughs> yeah. Like I just I was like, oh, she's this person. Like she, there's a throwbackness there that she's like finally found. But then the next album was like. Uh, it was Bionic, and it was like trying to be Lady Gaga or something. It was like, whoa! I thought you like you captured it, but that's perfect where you were. And then like every album is just like she's trying on this new persona. Chasing. She's chasing. She's yeah. trying so hard. That's why I said, yes, Christina Aguilera is just like you Try can see hard. her trying so hard. Yes, and it's like she legitimately probably is more talented than Britney Spears. Singing wise, oh, in every yes. way, in every way, right, and. Yeah, like, I feel like she's always behind. Like, she's always, like, trying hard to yeah. catch up to something or another or trying to be, like, look, I've got my, like, 40s jazz <laughs> album. Like, and I, I, like I, album. I just feel like she's never, like, quite authentic. Like, she's yes. always just, like, chasing trends. And even though Britney, she's not, like, the most down-to-earth performer in the world by any means... <laughs> But I feel like she's, like, doing what she wants to do. Yes. And Christina just feels like she's kind of, like, reacting to things or, like, reaching for things. She, like, Britney is doing only what she wants to do. Yeah, like, which Britney often is, is like, doing kind of like, lame, but at least. <laughs> but like, there's like a like a winky winky in in Britney that I really like, and it's been there since "Oops, I Did It Again" on to like her latest album. Like I, it's always there, and there's just some sort of fun ch- cheesy. I want to have sex, but like, but I feel like you buy Britney as a bit of a virgin, if not like if not a virgin, as like someone who actually would. M- make you wait, whereas Christina will fuck yeah. you tonight. What it goes down to <laughs> is... I'm sorry, Christina, but you will fuck me tonight. <laughs> I feel like all of these girls can be um, compared to a doll. A what? A, a doll. What? A doll, okay. A doll? Brittany is Barbie. Mandy Moore is Skipper. <laughs> Are you gonna say Christina Aguilar is a sex doll? <laughs> I real doll, that, but I think she's actually a brat doll. <laughs> And Jessica Simpson is a Betsy Wetsy. Can we just end the episode there? Yes. I feel like Christina Aguilar is just such the Jan Brady of this whole, like... like She's trying so hard and we're just, like, being like, fuck you, Christina. I mean, she's very, very talented and yet, like... To what end? Like, she occasionally does well, but, like, I feel like more often than not, it's just kind of like... It honestly... Like a little bit of a... Nobody's making Leave Christina Alone <laughs> videos. Nope. Honorable mention at most. But who can compete against Britney? She's so iconic. Christina is great, but, like, nobody's nobody's making Leave Christina Alone videos. Like, yeah. she, like Britney no. is on the... 
whether you like well, her or not, like in pop culture, Britney is on this pedestal with Madonna and Michael Jackson and, you know, the Making the top. out with Madonna. <laughs> yeah. And yes. then Madonna's like, sort of like, well, I guess I'll kiss you, Christina, <laughs> she, as well. She, but. but like, she's, that's just in that moment of time, like, that's who, you know, that she captured it and she was the she, top. And she, like, reached a summit that none of the other ones who followed in a rake, like, could remotely achieve yeah. to the extent that, like, okay, Slave for You came out in September 2001. Like, we just talked about how Jessica Simpson said 9 11 derailed her career <laughs> and also <laughs> saved her marriage. <laughs> Whatever. Silver lining. <laughs> <laughs> Britney's performance with the Python, like so iconic, was September sixth, two thousand one. Mm-hmm. It was five days before September eleventh, and yet wow. that's not part of the narrative at all. Like that whole single, like came out right before then, <laughs> didn't derail her career. Like to be someone who can like fight nine eleven. <laughs> well, but see, <laughs> we should here's, not be talking about nine eleven. Here's <laughs> no, but here's nine eleven of the pop. But like withstand, <laughs> she withstood nine eleven. Here's where I land up on Brittany Jean is I don't know how aware she is at any given moment of her own power and her own actual control over the career that she ends up having. You never know how much she's in on the joke. That's true. You really never know. But in the end, it also kind of doesn't matter because again, like the plateau she achieved is so high that literally all other pop music and especially female pop music for again basically the next decade followed in the wake of her mm-hmm. yeah it's really insane for someone who i think we would all agree doesn't have like a great musical presence like she's not a great singer and she does not she really is not author. good at singing she does not have much of a range I disagree back then. <laughs> I think she had a very unique voice. But now the whole, like, lip-syncing thing, I just, yeah. I mean, no one would call her, like, a musical dynamo. <laughs> no, she's not, yeah. Never. She's not, like, a diva. They wouldn't even use the word diva. No, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, and no. yet, in spite of that, she basically shaped pop music for a very, very long time. Like, both in image and sound, I think. And it's... It's kind of insane, and I feel like of all of these four, I don't know if I'd call them all divas, but these four pop artists that we're talking about today, she's the only one I kind of don't feel bad for, and the only one I feel like really kind of authored herself in a way that Christina Aguilera just, she feels kind of like she's trying too hard, like wants to be like sexy, like the whole like stripped thing, like it's fun, like she's a total whore. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in, in, in oh those God. videos that video looks like a gangbang video yes which is probably it the does. point And she did that, and it was fun at the time, because it was like, ooh, look, like, this, like, formerly, like, kind of chased pop diva yeah. did this, but she had to do that, and Britney, like, did Slay For You, and it's sexy, but it's not, like... Skanky? It's not, like, assless chap sexy. Well, it's- but it's also, like, in this environment, 
could you release a pop song that had slave yeah. in the yeah. main lyric? It's not problematic at all. It's which not. Is weird. It's really not. Honestly. No, and, and like, I, I don't know how much actual authorship Britney Spears had over the songs or any of that. But it does kind of hold up better over time, because especially in the case of, like, Christina Aguilera, so much of the public image of Christina Aguilera was about her having a superior voice, and that was kind of, like, the argument in favor of Christina being better, and of course, like, she's on The Voice or whatever it is, like, she's she's a pop culture, like, fixture or whatever, (laughs) (laughs) but... In terms of, uh, like, actual influence, it's strange how much Britney Spears influenced the pop musical landscape for an entire decade. Yeah, like, Christina, I mean, I don't think anyone argues that she had a better voice, but she was always playing catch-up with Britney. Yes! (laughs) Like, despite the fact that, like, I don't think they really had the rivalry that pop culture says they had, but I also don't think Christina Aguilera was ever leading really anything, like, trend-wise. So it's been 20 years since these albums came out. It's been five years. We're 18. So where are these people now? Mandy Moore is the star of the hit show This Is Us. She's still brunette, and I think that works for her. It does. (laughs) To be fair to Mandy Moore, who was never the standout pop diva, she has had the most successful acting career of any of these. Oh, absolutely. Um, Her last album was in 2009. She was the voice of Rapunzel in Tangled. And I think listening to some Tangled songs (laughs) this week, I think that is where her voice fits, is to be a Disney princess. Yeah, Totally. Yeah. Jessica Simpson has two children and is currently pregnant with her third. Um, (laughs) No longer with Nick Lachey. She has an extremely successful clothing line. Her last album was released in 2010, and she seems to be just focusing on um, her clothing lines. Mm. Um, But So she's very successful at that. Good for her. Yeah. Christina Aguilera has two kids. She was a judge on The Voice. Um, She released her eighth studio album, Liberation, in 2018. I had no idea. No clue. She's very, like, makeup-free, I think, on the cover. Yeah, I just, like, that's kind of sad that I didn't even know that. Like, I kind of pay attention to that stuff, and I had no idea that she released an album. I saw that photo. I mean, she has had... A lot of iterations like, like there's bionic and then but there's again she shouldn't i have like, heard a single from her like also like she seems just fundamentally reactive and she seems always like a chaser like trying to catch up to wherever the like bleeding edge is yeah uh britney spears has two kids her last album glory was released in 2016 She had a very successful residency in Las Vegas. She still sells fragrances. She's still under conservatorship from her father for the last 10 years, despite nearly being 40 years old. And this is why when you said that you feel bad for Christina, Uh. I feel bad for Britney. As much as I think that she has been more or less pretty consistent the last 15 years, I feel bad for her. And I feel like at many points in her career, she probably just want to throw in the towel and go be a mom in Louisiana and not have to perform and be in this conservatorship and have all these mental problems from the paparazzi following her. And I just feel like maybe now she's in a happier place and in a healthier place. But for a long time there, like it was just sad. Yeah, so when I said she's the one I didn't feel sorry for, I meant, like, totally in that era. Okay. Like, now... Yeah. It's it's sad, and I, I hope she's genuinely happy, Wait, but, so, but I don't know. <laughs> so, like, um, 
when you say she's still under conservatorship, she like, cannot control her own. What's finances. the what's the date of that? What do you mean? What's the date? Like when did you? It's still this year. Like it's been over ten years. Another part of this that occurred to me again, only listening to these songs again, watching the videos again, is the toxicity of fame and the kind of engine of publicity. Again, we like talk about how like fame and infamy collapsed with each other. But again, it was like, even though Britney Spears took a profoundly mainstream approach to making pop music and being a pop performer and being a pop icon, the system itself chewed her up and spit her out. And it's unfortunate. She definitely seems to have come out of it probably the the cleanest <laughs> of all of them. Christina Aguilera, it seems to be like the most mainstream famous survivor of this. I She's a think- fighter. Yeah, but I think all of them were kind of inherently mistreated. Yeah, you're probably right. It really is sad, not just in terms of, like, recognizing how so much of pop culture, like Celebrity Deathmatch and all that, like, taught you to root for the failure of pop divas like this, but especially actually learning how they were treated in their careers. It seems like they were all shortchanged and screwed in one way or another. Yeah, I just find it kind of gross that, you know, Britney is, like, treated as provocateur when she was a 16-year-old girl who, like, showed her belly in a Catholic schoolgirl outfit. And that's, like, not something that I didn't see in high school, you know, with, like, cheerleaders. I don't see it as, like, her doing anything that was actually provocative at the time. Like, it was just kind of treated that way. And I find it just gross that, you know, like, these girls' sexuality and virginity became such a like topic it's like who's yeah it's gross whose business is that like yeah they were performing like songs and it's not like song pop songs were not sexy before them like they might have been maybe a little younger than other girls but like there's like tiffany and i think we're alone now and that's like a pretty sexy song and it's just like but yeah, nobody like, was talking about, d- is Tiffany a virgin when the song was yeah, recorded? it's just like... <laughs> Again, like, the the Madonna horror complex is, like, so much a part of not just movies, but, like, pop music as well. Like, it, it carries through. And, and some pop stars, like, capitalize on being the horror side of that. And some capitalize on being the kind of Madonna, like, saintly, virginal side of that. And I think the other girls, like, kind of chose their sides. Christina Aguilera obviously chose the whore side, uh, (laughs) especially as she went on. Uh, And then Jessica Simpson chose the Madonna side, meaning Madonna the virgin, not Madonna the artist. And Britney, I feel like, really was savvy about, like, riding the line and, like, showing, like, guys what they wanted and yet staying innocent enough that it seemed kind of believable that she was like a bit of a like teenage girl even though you're like oh, maybe you're a little dirty but and also like, it was never not that innocent right not like, that innocent <laughs> she was not that innocent but she was innocent enough ultimately i would say avoid all the music <laughs> from this era and instead Please. it's becky against the music it's becky Steer against clear. the music i would say uh pick up uh between the album Britney and the album, uh, uh, was it Femme Fatale or even Glory? 
just everything be Britney and beyond. I would say give it a give it a listen. I I, I personally like Christina Aguilera's singles on Back to Basics, um, and I don't care about Jessica Simpson anymore at all. Yeah. Like, oh my god, no. <laughs> yeah, I think Britney actually has like three pretty great albums: uh, Blackout, mm-hmm. Femme Fatale, and actually Glory. I think is pretty good. It's okay. I like Circus. In the Zone is pretty good. Yeah, mm-hmm. In the Zone is fantastic. Yeah. So. Yeah, they're all pretty much singles. Like, you could, you could listen to the singles and not go too deep into them and be fine. Yeah, there are no killer B-sides. <laughs> I disagree, but that's me. Yeah, there's you a could song be called wrong. He About to Lose Me that was never a single. Mm. Um, there's, I mean, there's a bunch, actually. I mean, this is, I don't know. If you're a casual Britney fan, then you probably don't give a shit. So, <laughs> but if you're interested. No, I actually, I'm going to walk that back because I agree. Like, on Femme Fatale and on Glory, there's songs that were not part of the official albums that are actually pretty great. Yeah. You have trust. not listened to them. Shut you have your not listened mouth. to them. I will shut my mouth and I'll trust Becky and Chris to list these redeeming features Thank for us. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> That's all the 90s pop girl we have time for on the When We Were Young podcast. Wait, we forgot pink! <laughs> <laughs> on the next episode. Hello! <laughs> we will be donning wigs, fat suits, fake breasts, and... All kinds of gay Dentures. apparel. Cake in our face uh, for Mrs. Doubtfire, as well as other films that feature uh, straight men dressing in drag for comedic purposes. The When We Were Young podcast is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes and rate and review us with five stars or more. And you can reach out to us on all the social medias, including Facebook and Twitter, in order to suggest future episodes of the show. I have been Seth Pearson. I'm not that innocent. And I'm not a girl. (laughs) Not yet a woman.